And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. France are staring down their first ever scoreless draw in a FIFA Women's World Cup. It's an historic moment for the reggae girls. A first ever World Cup point. It is Aslani who delivers and the header is in. Sweden have stolen it. Amanda Illestead rose. And in the 90th minute, South African hearts are broken. Floated towards the back post of Van der Graat. And it's there. After on-field review, my decision is goal. I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. It's day four of the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and two of the European big hitters, Sweden and the Netherlands, have got off to winning starts, while France were held to a draw by Jamaica. Joining me today is culture and sport writer Tamara Griffin, who's in Adelaide, and the Athletics' Harriet Drudge, who's in the press box right now at the Sydney Football Stadium. Good evening, ladies. Hi. Hey, Michelle, how are you? Great to hear from you both. We'll also be hearing from Serena Wiegman and Georgia Stanway, as well as the Athletics' Jacob Whitehead, who was in the press conference after the Lionesses win yesterday. We'll hear from the Athletics' Jay Harris on Jamaica's reggae girls issues off the pitch too. So a busy one today and let's start in Sydney. And it's a red card and the emblematic captain and leader of this Jamaica side has been sent off. So Juve Renard and the French team have started their World Cup off with a draw against Jamaica in Group F. That's a first ever World Cup point for the reggae girls. Well, this was some game, Harriet. How did you make, uh, what did you make of it rather and how it played out? Yeah, it was it was an interesting game. It was quite physical uh, from the start. And Bunny Shaw had a really, I thought, really good first half. Um, booked, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on in the first half. But she was she was kind of the, the kind of, the centrepiece of everything Jamaica were doing. She was, she was triggering the press. She was leading from the front and really kind of getting getting Jamaica going uh, against France. So, yeah, it was. I think it was a really solid performance from Jamaica. And the kind of battle that was brewing in that first half was Wendy Renard versus Shaw. And I kind of thought that would end up bubbling into something a bit more. It didn't in the end, but it was one to keep an eye on throughout. Well, let's get on to that Bunny Shaw red card straight away then, Tamara. She's going to miss the match for Jamaica against Panama next Saturday. She picked up a booking earlier on and then gets that second yellow with that sliding challenge. Um, Did she need to do that? I mean, she's going to be tinged with regret right now, won't she? That was agonising to see. I mean, the matchups, as you mentioned, Harriet, between Bunny and Wendy and also even Bunny Shaw and Sandy Toletti throughout the game were really balanced, I thought. And 
indicative of a respect, I think, from from all players involved, which made it feel different from a lot of the more aggressive all-in tackles we've seen throughout this tournament. Um, I know that the rain may have caused a bit of issues with people slipping and sliding around. And it's one of those, to me, subjective calls that you really have to take into account the fact that this is the first game, that you know the, the, there was a certain tempo, I think, when it came to uh, aggression and, and 1v1 challenges throughout the game, that it felt harsh. It felt a bit harsh. It felt that it could have gone either way, um, given the context of the match and given all that... Jamaica has been up against and and given how hard they fought in this in that match it felt heartbreaking especially given how hard Bunny Shaw in particular had been working throughout the game yeah and it was such a huge point for Jamaica against France who they weren't fancied against let's be honest um, it was France's first ever goalless draw at uh, a Men's World Cup Harriet what did you make of France only had a few months with Hervé Renard I think that showed a little bit Tonight, maybe they are still in that transition phase. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the match was a bit of an overall reflection that both sides have been in, you know, having a few disputes off the pitch or been a bit kind of in turmoil in the last few months. Um, France definitely had the better of the opportunities. Uh, Diani was particularly uh, threatening, I thought, throughout. Um, and Tamira mentioned there about heartbreak of Bunny Shaw being sent off, which is true, but it would have been heartbreak had that header from Diani gone in right at the end there because uh, I mean still in the ground now uh, upon the full-time whistle the Jamaica squads were on the pitch they, they ran on the pitch and celebrated that point like they'd won which was amazing to see you know like the passion and you know that you know, that all of these all of these players are here at a World Cup and they're taking a point seriously against France so yeah it's going to be an interesting rest of the group stage for for this particular group I think yeah it is I mean France perhaps one one of the favorites to go deep in this tournament uh Tamara what did you think of Kenza Dali um she was on our podcast yesterday had a chance late on did she make enough of an account maybe to start the next game oh absolutely in fact I was a little surprised at the number of minutes she got I would think I was expecting her to play a bit more Um, but you know she she made the most of her time on the pitch for sure I think she injected a certain degree of intensity Um, she entered and immediately started taking shots and creating opportunities Um, and it was a noticeable shift I think for a game that was already intense um, the bar is was was pretty high for her when she came onto the field, and I think that she was still able to to sort of raise the level of intensity. Um, so I won't be surprised if she sees more minutes in the next game. Yeah, absolutely, a great result for Jamaica then against the French. But if they were slightly distracted today, as we've touched on, they would be forgiven. The Athletics' Jay Harris explains a bit more about the challenges the rugby girls have been up against, and how impressive it is that they're even here at all. Well, first of all, we should acknowledge that the reggae girls are the first Caribbean side, male or female, to qualify for two World Cups. So that's a huge achievement for a region that is not traditionally very successful at at football at all. In the last World Cup in 2019, Jamaica only scored once, conceded 12 times and finished bottom of the group. So if you're looking at the raw numbers, it wasn't really a success. But it was just such a fantastic achievement to even qualify. They've been stripped of funding and, and even disbanded before. 
but Sadella Marley, and yes, that is Bob Marley's daughter, came in and provided a lot of support for the team. So really, the 2019 World Cup should have been a landmark moment for women's football in the Caribbean. But the fear is, and what it looks like has happened, is that that momentum's not been built upon. The Jamaican women's national team released a statement on June the 15th, so a month before this tournament, expressing concerns around, and bear with me because this is quite a long list, um, transportation, accommodations, training conditions, compensation, communication, nutrition, and accessibility to proper resources. So there are a lot of things going wrong there. And after the 2019 World Cup, there are a lot of issues around payments not being given to the players and to the coaching staff. And that led to Hugh Menzies, who'd been you know, a pivotal figure in Jamaica getting to that World Cup and the programme evolving, he stepped down. So in those four years since then, the women's team have gone through, I think it's three head coaches in four years. So there's a lot of turmoil on and off the pitch. I've spoken to a few people for a long read that I've written about the Jamaica women's national team. By the time you're listening to this, it should have probably been published on The Athletic. It's basically just my attempt to investigate some of the things that have been going on behind the scenes. For example, I found out that in a qualifier for the 2019 World Cup, so yes, this is four years ago, but hopefully this will give you a little bit of an insight into some of the issues they faced. Jamaica were playing in a vital qualifier against Panama and it was in Texas and the weather conditions were really poor, except that they hadn't been given any raincoats by the Jamaican Football Federation. So what happened was one of their coaches had to go out before the game to Costco and buy them all coats. I'm, I'm not too sure if that happens with every other professional football team in the world. I've also heard stories about when they were having a friendly in Scotland ahead of the 2019 World Cup. The reggae girls had been based at a camp in Miami. Now what happened is that the correct flights weren't booked on time. So you have this bizarre situation where the squad get there on different flights and one half of the squad got there by flying to Morocco from Miami, Morocco to London, London to Scotland. So hopefully that just gives you a little bit of an insight into some of the issues they faced over the years and to link it back to what's going on at this summer's World Cup, obviously those players have released a statement saying that issues around transportation, accommodation, etc, etc still exist. So the fear is that the lessons haven't been learned from four years ago. The worry is that maybe they've got a golden generation at the moment who've been able to band together and overcome these hurdles, but other building blocks being put in place for this programme and for the reggae girls to flourish long-term, I think there are a lot of question marks around that. Jay Harris there. For more on this, take a look at his long read on the reggae girls over at The Athletic. So given all of that context, Harriet, just before we move on from this game, it's just crazy some of the stuff you hear about a country being at a World Cup and what they've had to go through. This is perhaps one of those most poignant cases. How impressive and what do you make of them given everything they've had to deal with off the field? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible the amount of teams at this World Cup who are dealing with such significant issues off the pitch. It's testament to all of them that they've come here and put on such a show so far. And, and Jamaica are, you know, another side that have shown tonight that no matter what is going on off the pitch, they can come together on it for that 90 minutes. And they worked tirelessly tonight together. Uh, they were pressing, they were energetic. They were determined not to concede. They rode their luck at times, definitely. Uh, but, you know, I thought that was a really, really impressive performance from them, uh, considering the circumstances. Tamara, should FIFA perhaps be doing more or is this individuals, FAs and countries problems or should FIFA be stepping in? 
I think a little bit of both. I hesitate to give FIFA the, the bulk of the responsibility here, if only because I don't think that any federation should be completely alleviated of of the responsibility to take care of their teams and to invest in their teams. I agree that it's unfortunate the number of teams, I mean, it almost feels like half the teams in this tournament are fighting on some frontline battle, regardless of how long they've been competing in these World Cups historically, regardless of how many high profile players they have, regardless of the country, you know, and the GDP of that country. Um, I think that anyone who is investing in any of these teams in general is saddled with responsibility to continue investing um, and to listen to what these players are saying and to to heed their demands or, you know, at least be willing to, to come to the table. Um, and until we see that, they're going to keep pressing. They're going to keep protesting. Um, so I think it's a matter of both. I think both FIFA and the federations need to be doing more. Yeah, absolutely. OK, Stephanie van der Graat's first half goal was enough for the Netherlands to secure a hard-fought 1-0 victory of a World Cup debutant's Portugal in Dunedin. Harriet, Vivian Miedema, obviously a massive miss. They had to scrap it out a bit. What did you make of Holland? Yeah, I think, they, you know, as with many of the the kind of top-rated t- uh, teams in the tournament so far. They they got the job done. Um, they were you know determined, dogged in what they were doing. Daniel van der Donk doing what Daniel van der Donk does, um, being creative in midfield, but also you know being pretty physical and and yeah getting around the pitch. Yeah, I think I think with a lot of teams they've been you know getting through the first match and we haven't necessarily seen the quality uh, that we've been expecting. It's first match syndrome, I think. I think it will come. Uh, and I'm excited to see how they, they do kind of progress. You know, last uh, 2019 finalists, um, and it will be interesting to see how they, they fare against the USA. Tamara, Portugal defended well, they look resilient. Do you think it might be tough for them to get out of this group? You know, at USA, obviously, got to be favourites to win it, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that Portugal was under any illusions about the difficulties they faced in this group. I don't want to overlook the sense of freedom that, that can come to a team when they're in that position, knowing how steep the uphill battle. Um, I think that in some ways it can sort of alleviate certain pressures that I think the U.S. will definitely be be holding coming into that match. And anything can happen. I, I know that's cliche, but I think especially in this group, um, if they take into their, their match against the U.S. any degree of the resilience they showed against the Netherlands, I think that if nothing else, they're going to make the U.S. work for the win. But yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And especially because now they're coming into it with a loss, um, the, the uphill battle just got a little bit steeper. Yeah. Um, Harriet, how far do you think the Netherlands can get in this tournament then? And how much are you basing that off what you've seen today? Um, I, I think it's difficult to make a judgment on what we've seen today. But I think, you know, that they weren't necessarily that impressive in the 2019 World Cup either. They they were scraping results a lot then. And I, I they're, they're the type of team to do that and do it again. And they're, they're, they're annoying in that way if you come up against them you think you might have them up against the wall and that you're always in with a chance but then they kind of sucker punch you and get you at the other end in the last minute that's what they were doing although obviously they did have Miedemar uh, who was a driving force behind that so perhaps there'll be a bit of a different outfit this time uh, but they're always going to be a threat 
After the break then, we're going to be hearing from Serena Beekman, Georgia Stanway and Jacob Whitehead from the England Camp Plus discussing Sweden's win over South Africa and a quick look ahead to Monday's fixtures with Brazil, Argentina, Italy and Germany all playing. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. In Group G, Sweden left it late in Wellington after going 1-0 down to South Africa's second-ever World Cup goal from Hilda Magea. Goals from Frida Rolfo and a last-minute header from Amanda Illistet ended South Africa's hopes of getting anything from this game. Tamara, once again, the underdogs who weren't given much hope look good. What did you make of South Africa, given the sort of golf in rankings, FIFA rankings? When you look at it on paper, this was not expected. Yeah, I think at this point, we need to just accept the fact that there is a grave disparity between these FIFA rankings and what we're going to see on the pitch for the best possible reasons, right? I mean, worst case scenario, you don't know about the FIFA rankings and you can go into this, you know, with a with a blank slate. More exciting case scenario, you do know what the rankings are and you're completely shocked because these things don't necessarily carry over. I think the way that the women's game is growing globally means that the FIFA rankings simply can't keep up with the way that the talent is growing um, at a pace that feels exponential. And I think we saw a lot of that today with South Africa. Um, the pace of play, the the level of connectivity with the passes, and even from like a morale standpoint, um, the determination. I love watching Tembi Katlana. She plays with an urgency that sometimes feels unmatched um, by any other player. And and we saw that today. So unfortunate result, but not one that was entirely reflective, I think, of how the game went. When when we think about, you know, those, those FIFA rankings you've just mentioned, Harriet, I mean, obviously Japan won 5-0, but we've not had any thrashings or huge scorelines yet, despite lots of World Cup debutants. And that is great news for the game isn't it and do you feel maybe that that golf we've seen before and those big score lines are going to become more of a thing of the past yeah absolutely we've been talking about that in the press box here tonight it's been it's been amazing to see the debutants really you know kind of showing what they're made of and they, they, they've come to the world stage and they are showing the world what they can do and it's been amazing we were talking about the, you know the 13-0 score line that we saw in the previous world cup we've not seen that here and I don't think we will and that's just testament to, to the countries and, and how, how they're preparing and how they're playing and, and demonstrating what they can do. Um, and I think keep an eye out on, on The Athletic because I think Michael Cox will be writing about the underdogs and why we're seeing kind of a closing of the gap, which is, yeah, it's been an amazing thing for this tournament. Yeah, Tamara, Amanda Illestep was given player of the match. We spoke briefly about this yesterday after England's game, 
Michael Cox pointed out on Twitter today that of the nine matches so far, eight player of the matches have been given to the goal scorers, three of who scored penalties. What do you make of that? It reminds me of the difference between discussing a football game with a friend who's maybe new to the sport and discussing it with your your best football mates at the bar um, in terms of the level of depth <laughs> with which you can discuss and appreciate the game. There is something that feels a bit, and I don't mean to sound patronizing when I say this, but there is something a bit like mainstream and expected about <laughs> awarding player of the match simply to, to the person who scored goals. And I mean, the fact that three of those people scored penalties, given what we've seen about the role that penalty kicks have played in this tournament and how many have been missed. I don't know that that's always the right call. Um, given on the same point of penalties, the way that we've seen goalkeepers stepping up, I think some of them need to be getting player of the match, especially these newer, young, fresh, extremely impressive goalkeepers. So not to take anything away from any of the goal scorers, anyone who's earned player of the match, it's obviously a huge feat. Goals win games, I, I know this. But I do hope that as the tournament progresses, we can have some more creative, expansive, rigorous interpretations of what it can mean to be a player of the match. It doesn't always have to be on the winning team, does it? Exactly. Exactly. I think that's such a good point about the goalkeepers as well. You rarely ever see goalkeepers get player of the match unless they've made a, like double-figure number of saves. Whereas you know, a, a player can have one shot from a penalty and score the winning goal and be given player of the match when all they've done is step up. I mean, all they've done. I'm not in any way kind of downplaying the significance and the bravery it takes to step up to take a penalty because I play football uh, in the Greater London Women's Football League. I'm a striker and I don't take penalties because I missed one at university once and vowed never again. Um, so no, in no way am I uh, downplaying the significance of that. But Mary Earps yesterday uh, for England made, you know, a, a basically what ended up being a match-winning save. And, you know, she was nowhere near getting player of the match when, you know, I think even just, you know, her presence and, like, the way that she was kind of talking her defenders through the game as well, I think that, that should kind of come into it. Uh, in consideration there. So, yeah, a great point, Tamara. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be hard on yourself missing penalties. Georgia Stanway did miss the first, even though it didn't count. Let's not forget that. So, thank you. Thank yeah, you. don't be too tough on yourself. Um, so, England, let's talk about England then. Talking about Georgia Stanway, they got off to a winning start yesterday. It certainly wasn't easy against an impressive Haiti side. England aren't free scoring at the moment. And the Athletics, Jacob Whitehead asked Serena Vigman if she's worried about the Lionesses' form in front of goal. Hi Serena, Jacob Whitehead of The Athletic. Um, it's been three and a half games now about scoring from open play. I think about 21 shots today. What's that little bit missing at the moment? Yeah, I would say ruthlessness. Uh, well, it's easy to say, so what does that mean, ruthlessness? I think, um, yeah, sometimes uh, the connections with the cross, the timing of the cross, where the cross actually ends in the penalty box. Uh, then the connection in front of the goal, little things like that, that at the end you hope it goes in. I think. We were very close a couple of times to scoring a goal and then, of course, their defence uh, was tough too. So we just uh, keep trying, keep working on it and uh, starting tomorrow again. 
England have won their opening games 1-0 for four tournaments in a row now. Michael Cox has written a piece on why there's no need to worry. Uh, goal scorer Georgia Stanway reflected on how hard it can be to hit the ground running. Um, I think it just takes a little bit to find your feet. Um, I think coming into a major tournament, the pressure's high, the build-up's so long, um, and you kind of you do need them a few minutes just to get yourself in the game, just settle. Um, and yeah, it took us a little bit of time to get into the game, but once we're in it, you can see the quality that we have. You can see uh, the passes going in, um, and yeah, just how much we work for each other. Um, but like I said, it's been a long process. We've been on camp for five weeks now. We've been in Australia for two weeks. Um, so yeah, we're just raring and ready for this first game. And as England head up to Sydney, Jacob Whitehead has the latest as the Lionesses get back to training ahead of their game against Denmark on Friday. Hello, this is Jacob Whitehead reporting from England camp, or more accurately, Sydney this evening. So the Lionesses trained Brisbane at lunchtime today after their match at Suncorp last night. And it's only this afternoon that they flew down to the Central Coast, which is about an hour's drive north of Sydney. They're training this lovely resort called Terrigal. So, about last night, England beat Haiti, they got the job done. However laboured it was, those three points cannot be taken for granted. The big debate beforehand, almost lost in the kind of bonuses round, the Earps drama, was who to start up front. It's classic kind of English striker debate. Friedman went with Rousseau, and I actually thought she played quite well around the pitch. Like, her physicality was really good. She got the better of De Mornay, and I think she ended up sending Haiti right back off injured at one point. However, most importantly, could not score. A few good chances missed. Rachel Daly was asked after the game, kind of about it, and she didn't really mince her words. Said quite plainly wasn't dis- was disappointed not to start believed she should be starting and Viegman also name-checked Beth England so three options there she doesn't like to change a winning team will probably have something written on this later in the week but I think this is going to be the narrative which is going to dominate the week to come might England have to change their team Okay, Tamara, some big games tomorrow with Italy against Argentina, Germany, Morocco, Brazil taking on Panama. Are you going to the Brazil game tomorrow? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a similar dynamic and tempo that we saw tonight with France and uh, Jamaica. I think Group F has sort of the perfect cocktail of legacy, experience, new energy, and sort of and and grit and... Um, and determination that I think is going to make it so that every pairing is going to give us so much to glean from. I was at the press conferences earlier today for both Brazil and Panama, and I think for all of the the promise that exists in this Brazilian side, they still have enough humility to truly respect what Panama is going to bring to the table with it being their first World Cup and all of the energy that they're riding in on, um, having punched their ticket. At the same time, I think Panama are riding high on this huge wave of positivity that they're receiving from supporters back home. They were talking about, you know, being out here in Australia, going out, singing karaoke and making sure that no matter what, they're having a good time, but that they balance that with a sense of responsibility to perform. Um, And so I think that we're going to see a mutual level of respect. And I think that that respect is going to unlock new levels of play from both sides. I'm really excited about this one. You've made me even more excited about it. Um, Harriet, which of the games are you looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to seeing Germany and Morocco. Uh, obviously, Germany, European Championship finalists last last time out, and uh, they'll kind of come into this thinking, you know, being confident 
uh, they got to the final last time uh, at a major tournament. But I'm also really excited to see Morocco, uh, especially after the Men's World Cup as well, and how far and the kind of just the enthusiasm with which the country got behind them. And I'm hoping for the same with the women's team. You know, they had a, an incredible women's AFCON um, getting to the final. And so, yeah, I can't wait to see them play. And hopefully, again, we'll have that kind of underdog spirit uh, where they come up against Germany and they'll just be, you know, playing. I think what's been so nice uh, as we've been watching this World Cup is that even though we haven't had kind of a, a spate of goals like we talked about earlier, it's the the underdogs come into it and almost playing with no fear and I've loved that I've loved watching that and that's the way to go right what, what's the, what's the point in playing with fear yeah I just I can't wait for tomorrow another three game day here in Australia and New Zealand can't wait to get going yeah I can't wait either. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Tamara, you wrote a piece for the athletic about a young indigenous girl you met who's obsessed with the Matildas uh, tell me a bit more about that Yeah, so I was really curious what football culture looks like outside of these bigger cities, these host cities across Australia. And so when the Matildas had their opening match, I was in a town called Dubbo. It's about a one-hour flight, five-hour drive away from Sydney in central New South Wales. Um, I met this 14-year-old girl named Miley Ship. Um, footballer, obsessed with Matildas. She is a huge fan of Sam Kerr, who, of course, she was disappointed, didn't play, as well as Mary Fowler, who she was very excited to see, both of whom have signed the jersey that she wore the night of the game in honor of the Matildas. And it was really special, I think, to watch that game with Miley and her family, to learn about her experience and how she is trying to ascend the the ladder of competitive football in Australia while also staying very connected to her indigenous roots. And being able to tell her story also allowed me to sort of cast a light on the collective efforts by a lot of young indigenous footballers across Australia to enter into the the competition, to get named to these youth teams and to eventually make it to the youth to the national team level and play professionally. Like a lot of marginalized, uh, historically oppressed groups, they face obstacles um, with respect to education, healthcare, within the criminal justice system, they are disproportionately impacted. But it was really cool to see how much support Miley gets, both from her family and her greater community to achieve her dreams. And I think if her story is any indication, we can expect to see a lot more representation of young Indigenous footballers across Australia. So um, it was a really cool experience and definitely a different kind of uh, World Cup match. Um, I wasn't, you know, in a packed stadium, but it was still just as impactful. And is that piece live now? It is. Great. Really looking forward to, to reading that one experience. Well, thank you very much for joining us today as Sweden and the Netherlands win and France drew with Jamaica. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Tamara Griffin, Harriet Drudge, plus Jay Harris and Jacob Whitehead. I'm Michelle Owen. I'll see you tomorrow. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.